0: Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Kramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. It's the event around the world. Uh Investors are watching the Kansas City Fed Symposium at Jackson Hole, where Fed Chair Powell is set to speak in about an hour. We're going to cover all of the bases for you today. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl here with Sarah Eisen, Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Jim and David have the morning off. Futures were steady until China added this new twist, adding retaliatory tariffs on $75 billion of U.S. goods, including oil and soybeans and autos. Uh, futures are red. So is Europe. Crude is taking a spill as well. Ten yield right around 161. Our roadmap begins with breaking news as China retaliates, announcing those new tariffs on U.S. goods. We're going to go live to Washington with details.
1: And a moment of truth. Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell just one hour away from taking the stage at Jackson Hole. We will break down what to expect.
2: And the big week for retail continues with Foot Locker and Gap on the move today. We'll dig into the consumer.
0: But obviously the big event, the only, uh, it's only fitting that Fed Chair Powell's Jackson Hole speech comes at an event whose theme this year is challenges for monetary policy. Fed officials Patrick Harker, Esther George telling our Steve Leisman they see no case for a rate cut right now. Take a listen to that.
3: I didn't think the cut was uh, appropriate necessarily, but I went along with it to get back to neutral. But I'm on hold right now. My forecast is just to hold where we are for exact one of the reasons is that, that I think we, we run the risk of creating too much leverage in the economy.
1: My sense was we've added accommodation um,
3: and it wasn't, it wasn't required in my view. In my view, with this very low unemployment rate With wages rising, with the inflation rate
1: staying close to the Fed's target, I think we're in a good place relative to the mandates that we're asked to achieve.
0: And St. Louis Fed President Jim Bullard made his case for lowering rates.
4: What the market thinks inflation is going to be over the next five years, let's say, and you adjust it because it's CPI, you adjust it to PCE. Markets only expecting about 1% or 1.1% inflation. So we're supposed to hit our inflation target. That's one reason why I've argued that, you know, we should get lower here.
0: So we're going to wonder for now whether Powell is rewriting anything in his speech. The president tweeting a few seconds ago, now the Fed can show their stuff.
1: Yeah, so, so that's one of the challenges, right, is the President Trump sort of overhang. They have to look independent. They have to ignore that. Another challenge is what happened this morning, and they... How do you respond to a trade war? How do you respond to something that is clearly going to influence global growth? You see that in the price of commodities. Oil, swift reaction lower this morning on the new tariffs. Copper, lower. I mean, these are indicators that the global economy is going to weaken. Can the Fed respond to that? And then another challenge is the other thing you laid out, which is there's a lot of dissent among the committee and inside the Federal Reserve about how much our economy needs another rate cut or a more aggressive cycle of rate cuts. There's this argument that we need to ensure against further downside risks, even though the data looks pretty good. And and there's another argument that why would we cut rates? The economy is in really good shape.
2: Even before the China news this morning, there was this line starting to build that all the commentary we've heard that we've been quoting of the Fed regional presidents has kind of lowered the bar for for Powell. So to to basically please the markets by seeming a little bit less hawkish or more dovish uh, than the market now expects. Now, the tariff news, in theory, could enable him to go further in that direction, have an excuse to do it, if that's what he's looking to do. I think that's the, you know, the big question out there is, is his intent to essentially ratify market expectations of two more, maybe three more cuts and an open-ended easing cycle. You know, arguably not. What I liked about, we heard Esther George say, the economy is in a good place. We are in a good place with regard to the economy. Bullard, we didn't quote this, but he said, having short-term rates so far above the rest of the yield curve is not a good place to be in. So that exactly exactly is the contrast in views right here. Yep.
0: Uh, uh, Those were his exact words. The curve is not a good place to be in, that their job is to get the curve uninverted. That was Bullard's take. Um, We're going to see how Powell sort of articulates this message of why you would cut rates when a lot of the data continues to be supportive? Um, and then it's uh, I guess I guess Esther George did make an attempt at explaining how they're thinking about having the president in their backyard repeatedly from a rhetorical standpoint at least.
1: Yeah, which is that they can't really I mean factor it in. I mean we've heard a number of regional Fed presidents, Powell himself. It does. We are fully independent and we we do not bow to political pressure. I think that's going to be a challenge that markets are looking through. Look, if you look at the Fed Funds futures market, what's priced in at this point for the rest of the year? A little more than 50 basis points of cuts. So that's two more cuts, right? September likely, December likely. And that follows the playbook of the the late 90s when they did these insurance cuts, something that Fed Chair Powell himself has mentioned could be. The, The problem is, once you start cutting rates, how do you signal that you're going to pause? If you do really, yeah. well, the want other to
2: problem is that if you go into it saying this is just a technical adjustment, just a mid-cycle tweak to interest rate policy, it is just insurance. The market doesn't really like that. And it's almost as if the market wants the Fed to operate with more urgency. And then, yes, yeah, sure, if it turns out it was just insurance, we don't have to do much more. Great, that's a, that, that's all. Benefit. One question: Why would Powell commit to anything without seeing the next round of inflation and labor data? No, no reason. Exactly, right? You have three weeks to the next meeting. Right, Just at that window, you're going to probably learn a lot more.
1: Because he might be a little shell-shocked by the market reaction to some of his communications in the past. I mean, that could be a reason. We've seen him respond differently when he creates a big market sell-off. Mid-cycle adjustment not warmly received. Will he scrap that language in order to pacify the markets? I think that, that is a question. And then you've got the tariffs. Futures did erase earlier gains today after China announced retaliatory measures against U.S. on tariffs. Eamon Javers at the White House with Latest. Didn't Larry Summers, Eamon, last night say that talks were going well?
5: Larry Kudlow, yeah, that's right. excuse me. Yeah, there's a lot of Larrys in this business. So, uh, look, no reaction so far this morning from the official White House apparatus, but the the tweet you just mentioned from the president uh, saying now the Fed can show their stuff, clearly... An implied reaction to the China tariffs. The president now heaping even more pressure on Jay Powell over at the Fed with this tweet to his 63 million followers. The president clearly expects the Fed to signal some kind of easing here. That's what he's been on about all week long in his Twitter barrage against the Fed. Uh, We'll see what Jay Powell does, how he responds to both the president... End of the, Ch- the Chinese announcement of these new tariffs this morning. And as you say, last night, Larry Kudlow told a bunch of us reporters here in the White House driveway that he thought, ultimately, these talks are still on with the Chinese side. Here's what he said last night.
2: We are still planning for the Chinese team to come over here in September. I don't want to name a date or anything, but we're waiting. So the deputy's call was quite constructive, and... Um, Uh, This may lead to
5: a a meeting of the principals here in Washington, D.C. So Kudlow, they're saying that they're still planning for a meeting with the Chinese side in Washington in September, but then saying it may lead to a principals meeting. Nonetheless, sort of an optimistic tone from Kudlow last night, and then this uh, imposition of tariffs and a more of a pessimistic tone from the Chinese side this morning. We'll see uh, how the president and the rest of the White House react to it as we go through the day here, guys. But uh, it should be an interesting one.
0: Uh, Eamon, any reaction to this piece in the Washington Post this morning about the muddled economic message that we've gotten, at least for the month of August?
5: Yeah. I mean, not so far this morning. Last night, Kudlow said that they are working on tax cuts 2.0 after a week in which we went back and forth. Right. The Washington Post reported on Monday that they were considering these new tax ideas. The the White House denied that. Then the president came out on Tuesday, said, yeah, I am considering these. Then on Wednesday, the president came out and said, no, I'm not considering these. So it's been a real whiplash week here on in terms of tax policy. Last night, the latest we got is Larry Kudlow saying, yes, we're working on tax cuts 2.0, but no, it's not coming soon. This is probably something for the campaign trail. So that means nothing anytime soon. And, of course, the harsh political reality is Democrats control the House. They're not going to move anything that they think is going to benefit the president going into a reelect. And so the idea that they can get anything through Congress between now and next year is sort of a fantasy. Uh, nonetheless, we've been you know, whipsawed all week with this news.
1: Are we, are we likely to see reaction from the president and from the administration or action in retaliation for this retaliation this morning I mean how, how does this how does this usually work
5: well we'll see I talked to one White House official in the West Wing this morning uh, who said look you know we didn't punch first they punched first in terms of uh, the overall trade policy toward the United States for decades so we're not uh, acting first here we're reacting to them uh, but I think you, you you can expect something whether it's rhetoric or whether it's an additional uh, tariff imposition or a change in the timeline of the existing plan for tariffs, I just think that this president, uh, when confronted, uh, likes to respond aggressively.
0: Uh, We're going to watch for the tape today, Eamon, uh, maybe (laughs) more than ever. Eamon Jabbers in Washington, don't go too far. Joining us this morning, Gordon Charlop, Rosenblatt Securities Partner and Managing Director, and David Lefkowitz, UBS Global Wealth Management Senior Equity Strategist. Happy Friday, guys. Not Not your typical summer Friday, G. What do you do with this?
6: Well, first off, Carl, when you, you have these kind of uh, sort of news shocks, they kind of uh, spike the tape a little bit. So, you know, we saw the futures react immediately. But I think we'll settle down here. I mean, this is just kind of what you see on a summer Friday and a little bit of news and spikes to volatility. But what I just think is so fascinating is the long-term picture with China. To me, that's the real story. You see... You look at Hong Kong, and you look at what's going on there and the demonstrations that are being downplayed. But then I saw something about uh, the Chinese government trying to populate YouTube with some anti-Hong Kong rhetoric. And then you look at the pressure that the administration is putting on there. Look, China is a communist country. It's made up of a lot of different clans, a lot of different cultures, languages. Are we seeing some fissures in the Great Wall? Is this a model that can really sustain, or are we looking at a repeat of the Soviet Union in the 1980s? And the answer is? I think within two to five years, you're going to see a different China. Breakup of China? I think you'll see something like that, and that will be a global economic boom. That, this, that the world will be, just the one we've been waiting for, access to those markets, to the entrepreneurial spirit of the Chinese people. I think that there's a lot of exciting times ahead if we can maintain the course here. All right. Uh,
0: David, I'm not sure how we put that onto an investing model, but uh, in the short term, how much pain is between that, now and perhaps that, that day?
7: yeah I mean I think today 's developments and just putting the, the the recent developments on trade in context, I mean this is just a continuation of what we 've been seeing over the last month and and, and our our view is that we 're going to continue to see this that uh, the developments on trade are very hard to predict they 're very fluid there 's a lot of twists and turns, and given that earnings growth is is going to be somewhat sluggish uh, and valuations are uh, are um, you know, kind of fair at these levels. We think the markets are going to be, are going to be mostly range-bound. And, uh, and, but but it's a very fluid situation, as I said. And if we get a de-escalation on trade, that could be a significant positive catalyst. But a further escalation, you know, that, that could be somewhat troubling.
1: I mean, I think the question, David, is how much can the U.S. economy withstand? Yes, the consumer's in great shape. Yes, we're outgrowing the mm-hmm. rest of the world. We've got debt that everybody wants. We've got, you know, positive yielding debt. And every time these new tariff announcements are, in, are put out there, retaliation, I mean, they impact global growth. They might not hurt the U.S. the hardest, but how much can the U.S. withstand if the rest of the world is really suffering as a result of this trade war?
7: Yeah, I think it's a really good point, Sarah. And I also think, so, you know, so yes, slower global growth definitely has an impact on the U.S., but I also think what's important about the next tranche of tariffs is they're going to be focused on consumer goods. It's all the consumer electronics that come in from China. It's the apparel and the footwear and all that stuff. So, yes, the U.S. consumer has been resilient, but now they're going to be in the, the crosshairs of the tariffs really for the first time. And our concern is that that's going to lead to a little bit of more sluggishness in the U.S. and in corporate profits, and therefore expect some, some more choppy markets.
2: Gordon, you're talking about the futures sold off quickly. They've really just, as usual, chased Treasury yields down, right? As soon as you got that headline, 10-year... Now, 10-year yield is still slightly up on the day, but essentially, uh, without any lift in yields, it seems like the stock market doesn't really have the nerve to attempt a further rebound. Is that relationship still going to just stick with us, and how's it play out?
6: Well, I think that it will. That relationship is in play right now. But I think what we're looking at here, though, is this is a kind of market where you want active management. The guys that are just going to sit and be passive are not going to get the same kind of returns. We're going to see this volatility. We are range bound, and those are the kind of things that are going to affect performance. However, that being said, retail has been strong, and and the global market is driven by the American consumer. Case closed. That's it. Hands down. And let's face it. Yesterday, consumer discretionaries were very strong. So what does that mean? Confidence is high. market has a floor. And it seems to me that... And
2: the consumer got a half percent cut in rates, effectively, in three weeks.
6: It could, could happen Based that way. The and then, of course, it, then you see all kinds of, of refinancing on, on, the, the, on the housing market. So I don't think it's all gloom and doom. I think everybody's sort of... Look, there are things out there. A lot of debt of, you know, the United States debt issue is still out there. There's, there's a lot of debt problems around the world. But if the consumer is, is happy and he's spending money, then the market will be stable here.
0: That's certainly what those who are watching Lowe's and Depot and Target this week are hoping that they hang in. Uh, Gordon, David, thanks, guys. Uh, Make sure to stay with us this morning as we await Powell's big moment at Jackson Hole. And for the time being, we'll take a look at futures one more time here as we are trying to get our first up week in four for the Dow. Uh, More Squawk on the Street in just a moment.
1: Taking another look at futures ahead of the opening bell. Fed Chair Jay Powell's speech 10 a.m. Eastern time. They took a dip lower when China announced new retaliatory tariffs against U.S. imports. Dow futures down 144. Still positive, though, for the week. More squawk on the street, live from Post 9 and the NYSE when we return. Minutes before the opening bell, counting down to Fed Chairman Jay Powell's speech at the top of the hour from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Let's bring in Kenny Pulkari, principal with Butcher Joseph Asset Management and a CNBC contributor. Kenny, how does the setup look to you ahead of Powell's speech?
8: So, what does it look like? Clearly, the futures are down. I think that's more China than it is the Powell speech. But look, here's the issue. Jay Powell, it is not on the agenda for Jay Powell to discuss US interest rate policy at this particular meeting. That's not what the that's not what the symposium is about, and nor should he feel forced to have to justify or not U.S. interest rate policy going into today's speech. It should be about the agenda, which is changes in monetary policy or challenges to monetary policy since the great financial crisis. So I I think there's a disconnect here between what he should say based on the agenda and what people expect him to say, because they're all screaming that they want a rate cut. And so I think there's a disconnect there. So quite honestly, I actually hope he talks about challenges to monetary policy and not about where we're going in the U.S. economy. You guys have done that. We've had plenty of conversations with Fed regional presidents. We understand what they, how they feel. We get it. It's been, the, it's been in the minutes. But I, I think that that's what he should do. Now, whether or not he does it is going to be a different story. And if he doesn't address it, then watch how the market reacts. You can imagine, Sarah, and we've been through this before, if the market doesn't hear what it wants to hear, then it's going to throw a hissy fit, and the algos are going to go crazy, and the liquidity uh, uh, liquidity's going to drive by the buy side, and the market's going to convulse. If he says, if he pacifies them and tells them or says or indicates what they want to hear, then the market will stabilize and probably you know, attempt to rally off, off the weakness this morning.
2: Kenny, uh, you know, as we do kind of build up these questions about Fed policy, as we examine every tick in the yield curve and all the rest of it that's gone on, you dial back a little bit. The S&P from late July had about a 6 or 7% pullback. You've bounced, recovered about half of that. We're trading in a range. What does the market response in a bigger sense tell you? Is the market whistling past the graveyard or is it saying that maybe the stakes aren't as high as we're making them out economically? I don't know. No, I think
8: the, I think what it shows you is that there's a high amount of angst, I think, in the market right now. Look, we are back closer to the highs than we've been, and yet there are all these concerns that we keep talking about. You know, the latest one being the inversion of the yield curve, which has now done it three times for a brief moment. But it does it's done it now three times, and everyone's making it like it's the end of the world. Meanwhile, the other six or seven or eight signals that the Fed looks at that we should be looking at to indicate whether the recession is here or not here are still mostly positive. And so, therefore, this, this, this hype and this angst over the recession is coming, it's coming. Look, it is coming. At some point, of course, it's coming. But it's not here today. It's not here now. But I think the market is just anxious at the moment based on... Uh, kind of all the chatter surrounding everything else, right? Interest rates and the China trade policy, whether or not we're going to have one, we're not going to have one, when's it going to happen, what's going to happen with interest rates. And so I think the market's just nervous, and I think the path of least resistance at the moment at this level where we are, 29.30, is to the downside and not to the upside.
1: Kenny Pulkari good to check in with you, sir. <laughs> Tan in Palm Beach, Florida. Dow's <laughs> looking to open down triple digits, opening bell just six minutes away.
0: watching cnbc squawk on the street live from the financial capital of the world the opening bell in three minutes on this uh, busy friday as we await uh, chair powell at jackson hole in about 30 minutes in the meantime watching these headlines out of china another uh, 75 billion worth of u.s goods now subject to tariffs beginning in september and they really did run the gamut from soybeans to autos to auto parts Uh, we'll take a look at what stocks might be affected in the near term but overall mike i wonder what you think it does to the, the goal of getting above 2940 for right. some sustained period of time.
2: Yeah, obviously, it's costing the market in the pre, pre-open about 50 basis points, about half a percent. Uh, I think it puts traders just slightly more back on their heels because essentially it says whether the economic effect of the you know, incremental tariffs is much of anything or not, it just pushes off any hope of an agreement. That's all it's about. It also means that once we get past Powell's speech today, it's not as if we're free of having to wait for some kind of known deadline-type catalyst out there, which is just about a week away.
1: I mean, just to remind everyone, we have a lot more ammunition to put on tariffs for Chinese immigrants into the U.S. than they do for us. So, I mean, last year we exported a little less than $200 billion worth of products to China. Imports, what we took in from China, were a little less than $600 billion. And yes, at the top of the list of what we sell to China is aircraft, soybeans, motor vehicles, microchips medical instruments, soy, agriculture and cars, in particular, have been very much a target of China's tariff lists because they're geographically focused in Midwestern states that voted for Trump. I mean, I think that's that's part of the strategy here. And you see a reaction in the affected areas. You saw soybeans, for instance, moving. We saw GM and Ford. I mean, it's an issue. We We export $9 billion worth of vehicles to China. So, there are pockets of weakness here uh,
0: although a lot of the vehicles that are exported to china
2: are european automakers who make it here and send it there also a lot of sure. used i think it's scrap it's used so it's it's a it's a wide ranging thing but it's not so much yeah know, l- they've moved production today. Yes. a
1: lot of the us car manufacturers to move production there. They sell to the Chinese market. It's made there. But clearly, I mean, we're still talking about billions and parts as well. It's a very interconnected supply chain.
2: I do think mostly the market looks at this and says, look, this just puts more pressure on the global growth story. It's not about who wins, who loses, what the actual dollar effect is on imports and exports. You have a freeze in global trade growth right now. And People are wondering if the rest of the world is going to be tipping into something worse than just a slowdown. And I, I think it just exacerbates that story.
7: We're yeah, look at oil, down
2: 2.5%. To Sarah's point earlier, it's definitely what oil is about today as a
0: barometer for global growth, uh, down almost a dollar and a half. Let's get to the opening bell on the S&P 500 at the CNBC Real-Time Exchange. And the big board celebrating an IPO It's ProSite Specialty Insurance. company property and casualty company focused on focusing on niche industries at the NASDAQ Harbor One, Bancorp, offices throughout New England. So one of the big themes of the week has been the haves and the have-nots in the world of retail, and that's just getting reinforced today with results like Foot Lockers and Gaps.
2: Exactly. I mean, Foot Locker, obviously, is going to have a bad open, right? And Gap, somewhat a separate story, Fox. because Gap, the report was not good, comps down at Old Navy again, and yet the stock rallied more than 4% with the group yesterday. It's going to give some of that back up, but maybe not that much. So maybe Gap's a different story than Foot Locker, where people are wondering about, you know, the, the, the forward picture there in terms of footwear.
1: Yeah, I mean, for Gap, the story was they saw negative comps in Old Navy, which was the bright spot of the portfolio. We knew Banana Republic was weak. We knew Gap was going to be weak, but Old Navy is doing worse than expected. So we, so you've got a, t- a turnaround story and a project there. I think the question with Gap is whether, well, what's the dividend yield? Does that protect a little well, bit on the the yield is over side?
2: 5%. A yes. lot of these retailers are in that zone. It has not really I've helped, helped you know, on the way down very much, you look at Macy's or anybody else, it really, they all look extre- either extremely cheap or somewhat expensive, which would be like the the Home Depots or the, the winners, the acknowledged winners look a little rich. Everything else is in this sort of uninvestable, secularly challenged bucket.
1: Yeah, and Foot Locker looks, I mean, opening down 11 percent, big miss on earnings, bigness on sales, uh, lower comps, which are barely growing, even in the statement in the release, they said that they can do better. They came in at the low end of expectations. They say, though, as the quarter went on, they saw better results, which is something we've heard a little bit. Sort of an echo of what
0: Cole said, yes. But
1: it doesn't look like the market is giving them the benefit of that
0: doubt. um, To your point, Mike, about Macy's, that yield is really close to 10% now. And it sort of feeds the... Uh, radar people who are watching the number of S&P
2: components that yield more than benchmark. It's a majority. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a, well, certainly a clear majority out yield the treasure, 10-year treasury. But Macy's yield is also getting to a level where it's almost a little bit more of a, of a warning signal than it is you know, a, an attraction. Because you have to say, not only can they cover the dividend, but what does it say about how the underlying business is being valued uh, that, in fact, people are looking beyond this very rich yield.
1: I mean, even though you have those two losers, guys, of the morning on retail, consumer discretionary is still the best-performing sector by far this week in the market, up 2%. And yes, it was thanks to Walmart, really strong quarters, Target, Target, Lowe's, yeah.
2: And yesterday, a massive short squeeze across the smaller ones. Well, that was really Nordstrom.
0: So this is what uh, some of the bears have argued that... Uh, Target's revenue beat was not that big versus expectations. Same with, uh, uh, with Lowe's, I think. Yeah. And uh, did they justify a 10%, 20% gain, or was it just the Bears uh, cover? So right? I
2: don't think Target and Lowe's necessarily were the heavily shorted ones that people had to run away from uh, on the short though. side. But yeah. I do think that you've had this world of retail where people didn't feel it was safe to invent, to really bet heavily on anything but the elite. And so, if Target and Lowe's are going to be allowed into that club, then they're relatively cheap compared to the incumbents. But I was talking more about, about the gaps yesterday, about Nordstrom, uh, about BJ's wholesale, I mean, all these ones that flew yesterday are much more the heavily shorted, acknowledged, you know, kind of secular losers here. You know what's uh, catching my
0: eye is Boeing up once again of almost 2%, 360 now. We know they've had headlines regarding uh, production of the 7.3, but if you really believe that China's cracking down and will start to take qualitative measures against individual exporters, wouldn't that be
2: a negative for BA? You know, the market seems to think a global duopoly is protection against this idea that there is an easy switch or that the long-term order book is uh, is in jeopardy here. But it's a very good question. I mean, the fact that it used to trade on China News and it seems not to anymore is interesting.
1: I mean, it's trading on 737 News. And the latest is that the Seattle Times home paper says the 737 Max may be back in service in October, following some positive reports and analyst reports out of Cowan yesterday that things were moving in that direction. And so that's been a key driver. If you're also looking for positives on, I don't know, the economy and appetite for spending from businesses, how about CRM? Oh, amazing. Salesforce? out with a big beat. This is a stock that had underperformed the S&P and the entire software complex coming out and not only beating, but raising its forecast for revenues to 16.75 and 16.9. They had a surprise profit, even though they're digesting all these huge acquisitions and business changes. And they continue to just paint a bullish picture of tech spending. The question is, are they some kind of outlier? Because we didn't really get that message from their European counterpart, SAP. We didn't get it from some of the other names like NetApp or Cisco, this earnings period, but certainly from from Salesforce, we're getting that strong picture. If
0: you believe that business investment is truly collapsing due to trade uncertainty, is there something about software or customer uh, resource management that is is, is immune? This is going to take you back to levels uh, we saw um, beginning of the month.
2: The concerns mostly about capital investments are about structures and and physical capital goods that have lagged what you would otherwise expect at this point in the cycle. you know, productivity software has not really had much of a hiccup, even though there's some friction in the cloud story. There isn't really uh, much of a wider sector effect from CRM's numbers today. So it seems as if people are saying CRM deserves a little catch-up because it has sat out this software rally, as opposed to you know having coattails in the rest of the group and taking, as well.
1: potentially taking market yeah. share. I mean, its service cloud revenue grew 22 percent year over year versus 20 percent in Q1. So they've got the tough comps, and they're they're still continuing to beat
0: stock doing well. Uh, speaking of big cap tech, uh, Politico did have this piece yesterday that the Europeans are drafting a fairly radical plan to uh, put tariffs on uh, big American tech companies, use those funds to innovate uh, within the continent over there. Uh, obviously, it's nothing more than that, but we'll see if it begins to affect sentiment on specifically Google, Amazon, uh, Facebook. Facebook, yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, it was it was painted as a piece like a... Like we want to rival the U.S. in terms of technology, and we want to impose tariffs on the U.S. If, if President Trump goes that way. I'm not sure how much money they're going to need to throw at their tech sector to try to rival what we've got here in the U.S., yeah. um, but it's interesting. They've got new leadership. They have a new incoming EU president, so uh, we'll see if they take a more aggressive stance. Mike, I would just note what's happening with bond yields. Yeah. I mean, that's what's driving the action, right? Ten-year yield. Below 160 again, so you've got buying of treasuries, lower yields. The 30-year is actually a standout, staying above that key 2% level. But the only group in the market that's positive now is utilities off those lower yields.
2: Yeah, and it has been the level of yields on a day-to-day basis that has mattered more than the shape of the curve necessarily. Because if you have all yields going up, you can relax the uh, that kind of fear trade and the deflation kind of forced buying of bonds. And I do think that uh, that's going to be a little bit of a headwind if, uh, if bonds can't, uh, can't get a lift, yields can't get a lift after Powell today.
1: I'm looking at Nike because Guggenheim put out best idea. Uh, they, they picked a number of retail names, but said Nike was their best idea. And even at these levels, which Nike has actually done pretty well, and even with the overhang on tariffs, they still say that the valuation is decent. Not getting much of a boost for, for that. Uh, usually when you have negative China news, especially retaliatory tariffs, That hurts a company like Nike that does a ton of business there.
2: And on that, I mean, I guess you have to point out Apple down 1.3%. You know, rest of tech is down small. And Apple obviously has, uh, you know, it's been really yo-yoing around. But now that it's got up to about the $210 level, it's been kind of a familiar place for it to pause. And then the tariff news today, even if it might not directly apply, you're getting a little bit of selling. In
0: fact, if you look at the components in the Dow, uh, if you had a basket that was levered to China trade, you would put Dow, Cat, Nike, 3M... And Apple in that bucket, and they are, in fact, the five worst uh, components on the Dow right now. Once again, just pointing to how interesting the uh, outlier Boeing yeah. has been the last couple of days. Yeah.
1: Also, right. would mention Hasbro. We got that deal news after hours yesterday. Hasbro buying Peppa Pig maker yep. <laughs> Entertainment One, four billion dollars. I guess it, it's all about Peppa Pig.
2: It seems like, she's it. Worth yeah, more she's bill. the one, the, 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 the merchandising uh, uh, kind of standard bearer there. Although. Hasbro down 5.7%. It is a sizable deal, uh, $4 billion on a $14 billion market cap for Hasbro, going to take on some debt. It's a a cash deal, uh, but clearly it's going to be a little bit of a a financial lift for them to do it. But clearly, it's a a big chunk of intellectual property that they felt like it's going to have life for years to come in media and merchandise. All right. So we're hanging on to 2,908.
0: You really don't want to to get uh, below, say, 2,904. You got to go back to levels from uh, the 16th. Let's get to Seema Modi, see what's moving on the floor. Hey, Seema.
9: Hey, Carl. We were set up for a positive open. Dow was indicated to open higher by 75 points overseas. We had nice gains in China uh, and mixed performance in Europe. But once China's retaliatory tariffs were announced, the Dow... Dropped triple digits. Currently down by around 111 points at the moment. 100 points. Early laggers, as you guys were discussing, include Apple, Autos, some of the big energy names, industrial giants like 3M and Caterpillar. Remember, uh, Caterpillar is already estimating tariffly really the cost between 250 to 350 million dollars this year, and shares are down about 12 percent so far in the month of august retaliatory, retaliatory uh, tariffs announced by china in total come out to about 75 billion dollars it really ranges from frozen pork to nuts china's tariff increases include five percent on soybeans and crude oil on the first of september and a 25 percent increase on autos on the 15th of december the reaction you can see wti crude sharply lower on this announcement gold is higher by around a half a percent on this safe haven bid. Let's also talk about the Chinese yuan. It's slightly weaker against the U.S. dollar right now. Remember, it was August 4th when the Chinese central bank allowed its currency to fall below 7. That was also seen as retaliatory response. No surprise, cyclicals are lagging right now. The banks are weaker with bond yields a bit under pressure. And let's also talk about retail. That sector is down today. But remember, earnings have surprised to the upside. Profits, in fact... Higher by 5% for the sector and even higher when you strip out Amazon's numbers. Retail also a bright spot for the week, but that leadership could change with the latest salvo in the trade war. Big winners include Target, Gap, Abercrombie, Stamps.com. On the losing side, it's Macy's and L Brands. Guys, sending it back to you.
2: Seema, thank you very much. Joining us, joining us uh, for more on these markets is Christina Hooper, Invesco Global Market Strategist. Also with us is Matt Toms, Voya Investment Management, CIO of Fixed Income. Welcome to you both. Um, Christina, I guess to boil together all the issues that the market is fixated on right now, right? What will the Fed do? Uh, how much might it ease? What will the signals be today? And then the China incremental uh, tariff move today is how much is the world slowing down? Can central banks do anything to help out, where do you sit?
3: Well, certainly the world is slowing down a little bit more today after China's announcement. And I don't think central banks can do anything to stop this. They do not have the remedy uh, for this illness. Uh, the only remedy is really uh, dialing down of the trade wars, and I don't see that happening. However, The Fed can improve markets. Uh, We saw that uh, in the global financial crisis. Sending accommodation into the economy might not impact the general economy, but it can help markets, especially stocks.
2: And so, in that context, what will the Fed do uh, in terms of signaling today, do you think, and what should it be doing?
3: Well, I think that the Fed will make it very clear that tariffs are a very serious threat to the global economy and also assert that they stand ready. To make another insurance rate cut if they remain concerned, and clearly um, there are more concerns today than there were yesterday.
2: That would seem it's going to leave them a little bit behind the market, though, if just another insurance rate cut is the message, right?
3: But we heard from other FOMC members yesterday, and they're very reluctant to make another rate cut. So I think that Powell needs to be very measured in what he says today.
2: Uh, Matt, uh, read the bond market's mind for us a little bit here. Obviously, we've had this collapse in longer-term bond yields in the last several weeks. Uh, It's a global phenomenon. What is it telling us about growth, and where would you look to position relative to different segments of the bond market right now?
4: Right. So the bond markets are are, the long end of the bond market is is influenced by the global slowdown trade. The front end is a Fed trade. We think the front end is actually pretty logical at approximately 155, 160. The Fed is going to be forced to cut. It's that back end that is representing the trade uncertainty. We think that back end should steepen as some of the trade uncertainty begins to slowly abate. It's going to take time. Uh, But we think the message from the Fed will be that they're going to be forced effectively to cut. The other governors have set up for the slowness. It's Powell's time to now signal uh, a more expedient move. And in that environment, we like U.S. domestic uh, instruments that, that do well in low rates, so housing and commercial real estate related uh, bonds.
0: Although, Christina, just got done saying that cutting rates does not address the problem at hand. This is not about the cost of capital, as Harker said yesterday. What's your response to that?
4: I don't think that's true. I think there's offsets. There are components of the economy that will do, that will do well. Housing, uh, for example, will do well. Commercial real estate will do well. There's offsets on the wealth side. There's benefits on the, the, the market side. But it's a double-edged sword. It's not an impotent tool. It's just not as effective as it used to be.
0: I, don't know. I, I keep seeing others complain about the, the ratio of the S&P's market cap now to the GDP is hundred and nineteen percent you gotta go back to the late nineties to get levels that high Are, is the market getting untethered from the economy
3: well the market is reacting to what appears to be fed accommodation in the face of relatively solid economic conditions so we can't fault the market for reacting to an unusual period in the feds history
1: i mean to to matt's point the itv home construction etf is really breaking out how do you find those kind of pockets of strength in this market given some of the macro backdrop we're talking about?
3: Well, I think you have to look at the macro risks and decide where the opportunities are and certainly housing could be a great beneficiary given that rates are coming down. However, I don't believe this is going to filter into the general economy and of course the first place where we're seeing the impact in the U.S. is in manufacturing. So we probably want to be underweight um, manufacturing, industrials, those areas of the economy.
2: As the market has uh, has been essentially, uh, if the market can be underway a part of itself, uh, Christina Matt will have to leave it there. Thank you very much, guys.
1: Wall Street focusing attention its attention at West this morning. Moments away from Fed Chair Jay Powell's big speech in Jackson Hole, we'll have the market reaction for you. We'll also speak with former Philadelphia Fed President Charles Plosser, and later on closing bell, don't miss Federal Reserve Vice Chair Rich Clarida. He will be there to react to Powell's speech. Here's a look at the movement in Treasuries this morning. With the Dow down 103, you are seeing yields a little bit softer, at least on the shorter end of the curve. 30-year Treasury, it's what everybody's watching, remains above 2.1%. Ten-year yield actually just ticked higher. It's kind of going back and forth. But the two-year, lower at 158. We'll be right back.
0: The countdown to Powell now in its final stages, just about 10 minutes away. Question is, what will he say about the future, about rates, and will he incorporate any of this China tariff news in his speech? Dow's down 144. Less than 10 minutes uh, to Powell. Here's a live shot of Jackson Hole as we begin to see the market try to prep for this. Dow's down 140. dollar index is higher. VIX is above 18. The uh, question is whether or not we're starting to believe he's going to deliver less than some people hope.
2: Yeah, go, before this China tariff news today, I think the market was looking for an excuse to release higher a little bit just because uh, set, the scene has been set um, with relatively hawkish commentary. Where, and, you know, Sarah, we had Paul McCauley from yeah. uh, formerly of PIMCO on yesterday who seemed pretty sure that, that Powell was going to give a big picture message about how the Fed in the future will react. Incoming information and tolerate lower levels of unemployment, and essentially say, "Look, this is a new world. The economy is not producing inflation like we thought, and therefore we need to be more uh, accommodative on a net basis down the road. Maybe not in the next three or four months, but just in general, uh, it was he, he was making the case that Powell's ready to give that kind of a message because what has been lacking is a well-articulated framework for how the Fed has been viewing these decisions because there is so much conflict on the committee.
1: And I guess the upshot of that would suggest easier monetary policy to fight the lower inflation. All else being equal, easier. You know, look, he's going to talk about central bank challenges. I think he has to make a comment on the economy. He's the Fed chairman. Everybody's waiting to hear what he thinks about the economy. And I think, you know, to the challenges that he faces, look... They're not necessarily easy ones for him to tackle. They're political. Remember what Barry Knapp of Ironside said? It's currency, a strong dollar. It's strengthening this morning. It's up again for this week. I mean, they're not supposed to touch that. That's supposed to be the Treasury. But we know that the Fed has most control over that. They've got the president, which is also highly political, pressuring them to move. They've got this trade war, which is only escalating, which is also not their purview. They don't want to step into it. But then again, could affect the economic outlook. And they've got this weakening of the global economy, which is not their mandate. Right. Their mandate right. is to the U.S. Well, so depends
0: it's very on who you hard. talk to. Yes. Meanwhile, Harker, who was pretty hawkish with Steve yesterday, once again uh, does not see a shock to the economy happening right now. Fed does not need to act right now. Apparently, unmoved by the tariff headlines. Although maybe they're just trying to give uh, Powell some cover. Uh, to operate within a safer box. But
1: then you've got Jim Bullard, who's a voter on the committee, saying you know, this time shouldn't be different with the yield curve, and I'm worried about what it's signaling, and I think we should get ahead of it.
2: But that's the path out of this argument, isn't it, though? You can say the economy right now is performing very well. We don't really see the need for a rescue of the U.S. economy, but because the yield curve is set up in this particular way, it's very conspicuous that it seems like we're too tight relative to world conditions. We have to ease for that reason, and easing does not mean we think the economy's in trouble. There is a path, rhetorically, through that opening. He
1: already went down the insurance cut path. He already went down the risk management. We need to get ahead of any potential slowdown. We want to keep this uh, expansion alive. If he's going to go down that path, it would suggest that he should keep cutting interest rates on a deterioration of global growth.
0: Uh, Maybe he echoes Bullard, who says the U.S. is at the high end of the curve and we're missing our inflation target. If we hit it, then we can always take it back. The costs of being easy are not very high at the moment. Right. right? So, Uh, It's coming up after the break. When we come back, what the Fed chair will say in his much anticipated speech
1: at Jackson Hole. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street.